Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Matt Davis-Adams and this is Parts Unknown, where this week we're looking back on 2001's WrestleMania 17, which in the opinion of many wrestling fans is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. 68,000 packed into the Houston Astrodome to see The Rock take on Stone Cold and a stacked card involving an amazing TLC match between the Hardys, the Dudleys and Edge and Christian, a clinic from Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, China shooting a massive phallic fireworks space gun and all sorts of other blood and shenanigans beside here with me to break it all down the devil's favorite demon carl anker what <laughs> not a clue the ayatollah of rock and roller anton Tolui. hello there and the samoan bulldozer dr carrie dunn hello but you know what this show needs a theme tune by limp biscuit producer ben hit the damn music Before we get to the matches, can we all just share a moment's appreciation for Paul Heyman on commentary? Um, he really, really adds to this show, I think, Carrie. This was amazing. I didn't know that I was going to get Heyman on commentary because I've got so used to listening to bloody Jerry Lawler. And then I put that on and it's Paul Heyman and it's exquisite and I'm so happy. Yes, I thought he was incredible. And he makes JR better. As I remember reading an interview with him where he said... Um, to Jim Ross, I'm like a jarringly strong cup of coffee in the morning, but often he doesn't want that much caffeine. But he kind of needs it to keep him to that level, doesn't he? A big ups, big ups, my boy, Limp Biscuit is what he does. <laughs> in the Yeah, it's, it's so 2001 and just perfect. Uh, in the same way that it's very, very nice when JR goes, uh, has returned to a vertical base to describe standing up. Heyman has his own two or three phrases that just mean very, very basic things, but just beautiful it makes such a difference when you go okay you take this side i'll take that side we'll have a a debate about these two characters rather than just asking about making sexist and racist comments let's just like focus on on this match in particular and what's going to happen in it and maybe why it will happen i think commentary sometimes especially in wrestling you don't get the fan and that's the that's the problem. You get the you, know, you get the excited big moments when JR and exclaims, "Oh my God, what's happened? Oh, he's killed him," or something like that. But you don't get the the fans' thoughts or the fans' reaction from from Heyman. You do because you get the other side of why you'd love a heel, or you get you know Heyman says relatively early on. I'm not saying this as and he says his real name. I'm not saying this as you know the guy. This is my first WrestleMania, and I it's a I absolutely love, and you believe him. You you do, and you presume everybody else in that arena is feeling the same way as well as you know i love you know jericho because of this reason and i like it. it's it's just it's just wonderful and um, let's start with the main event rock versus stone cold what a hype package we got for this there's that weird bit with deborah where he was rock she was rock's manager for a bit they kind of cut that from the storyline randomly and probably could have gone from the vt2 they added the no dq stip really late on we know why that would happen and rock headlining for the third straight year here carrie and they just went straight at it from the bell it was like breathless action between austin who's a cardio machine or was at this time and rock who was somewhere near if not at his peak Mm, absolutely absolutely headlong into this match it's just as you say all action right from the off there's blood there's guts there's emotion there's aggression there's literally everything it's completely full-on um yeah it's a spectacle cold chair shots um something the rock does which very few people did which to me is just ultimately logical is put his hands in front of his face to block the chair that's because that's what you'd do if somebody was swinging a chair at your head, right? Actually, it's not like, oh, he's not, he doesn't want to take a chair shot to the head unprotected. That's what 
people would do if someone was swinging some steel at them. That's what people should do. And I think that's now become the the preferred way you take a chair shot when you teach wrestling. I don't know if The, the Rock's popularized it, but in the time I've spent training, they're like, this is how you give a chair shot. This is how you take one. This is why all of these wrestlers can remember where they put their car keys. And this is why these wrestlers maybe yeah. not be able to. Don't drive anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully. This match is incredible. Uh, not too long. Thick end of half an hour. It's fine it, because it got it's it goes at a pace. When when we talk on this podcast about how a match is five minutes too long, I think it's when you can you know, especially when you're watching a network, it's when you press pause the network and you go, oh, it's got that much longer left. It's electric pace. Something I'm really really appreciating appreciating is how much story Stone Cold can t- tell from maybe four moves. He's got the mud hole, the stunner, the Luthez Prez. That's about it. Other than that, he's just punching you. You know, later on, it causes problems for wrestling because everyone tries to be Stone Cold and just throws punches. But when Stone Cold throws a punch and when Stone Cold takes a punch, it matters. There, there's something really interesting at this spell um, of WrestleManias is that when someone throws a straight right hand, it's a big deal. And commentary picks up, oh my God, he's not even like hiding his punches that's just vicious that's a really disgusting straight out hand why does Kurt Angle do that why does Stone Cold do that I'm like yes that that's how you would fight when it's the biggest prize in this business on the line a heel turn that nobody in attendance particularly wanted slash cared about at the end um, and some when uh, Austin shook hands with Satan himself I'm not quite sure why he needed the help of Vince to to beat the rock you know, Vince was kind of old and had already been beaten up. It was kind of... Austin said, in retrospect, he would have called an audible and not gone with the heel turn. I kind of wish that he had done that. I completely agree. But let's be honest, this was at the time when this mania, what the one afterwards, the one before, was just dominated by unnecessary man moments. And this is another one. This match was brilliant. It's just relentless. It's got everything you'd expect from Attitude Era Wrestling. It's got exposed turnbuckles. It's got chair shots. It's got ring bells being used. It's got refs going down. It's got all these kind of things done by two people at, as you said earlier, at their at the kind of at their peak. You don't need then the sort of moment at the end, the shock factor at the end. Just have it as these two guys have just come out and given you one hell of a show to end one hell of a show. Is it the best WrestleMania feud ever? Rock versus Austin. Not sure, because I think we look back at the last match between them in Rose Tinted Spectacles, and I'm not sure whether you, if you just watch the matches without no, without really sort of investing too much in the in the two characters, whether they are actually brilliant, and also their feuds they were hyped and anticipated. They were only personal because they were just the two biggest guys at the time. They weren't really sort of these two guys. Re- I never really bought into the whole they despise each other and they wanted to because they both were heels. They were both faces. They were you know, yeah. I love the feuds, but I, I I I don't think it's for me. It's probably not the best feud of all time. You like a bit more story with feud. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, yeah. But what about that that sit down? between them before this i need to beat you rock i need to beat you more than you could ever know like that's so simple isn't it there's no bells and whistles particularly it's just like we're going to have this match for the thing which is the most important thing in the company which is the world title you've got it i want it you want to keep it like you need to be good to be able to pull off something that basic we spoke about this before when we discussed roman reigns brock lesnar because uh, it happened in similar circumstances for 31 where the feud wasn't quite working and they went right you two well i thought wasn't there a snowstorm? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So there was a snowstorm. They couldn't do it. So let's just get these two sat down in the room. JR asked questions. So when Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar did it, I, I think again, there was a snowstorm of some sort. And then it was Paul Heyman asking the questions. And it was very, very good when Roman Reigns just turned to Brock Lesnar and went, even if I can't beat you, I'm going to take a piece of you away. Um, now you asked me previously on this podcast, should the title match be on last or should it be the most important story and I went the most important story you should write your most important story so it's around the title this is what you mean when that happens it, it's the perfect confluence of your two best people may not even dislike each other around about this time these two were doing 18 minute promos together doing karaoke songs and they clearly enjoyed each other's company hence the beer spots and the fact they both nick each other's moves 
Um, really enjoying this match. They redo the bloody Stone Cold in the sharpshooter spot from WrestleMania 13, which I can't wait to talk about that episode. Um, yeah, just everything good. In, in that way, that makes me a bit sad because I know that's had a knock-on effect on so many other WrestleManias where so many other wrestlers have gone, I'm going to try and replicate that. I'm like, no, leave that to be the perfect, fantastic bit and then go off and try and do your own different story elsewhere. I think the best feuds actually don't need that kind of hatred between your two protagonists because I think the best feuds actually work when there's some kind of mutual respect because, I mean, William Regal talks about it quite often. If you're slagging off the person that you're feuding with in your promos, then if you beat him, it means nothing. If you have some kind of respect and some kind of, uh, not affection, but some kind of positive reaction to the person that you're working with, then that actually tells a better story than it just being straightforward hatred, I hate you, I want to beat you. If you've got something else behind there, whether even if it's just you've got a title and I want that title, then that makes it much more intriguing for the viewer, I think. And something else I think adds to what you guys have been saying is the fact that in the interview that you mentioned between Rock and Austin, when Austin is saying, I, I need to beat you, Rock, uh, Austin was just entering sort of that stage in his personal life when he did need to beat him because he was going through kind of, even though he never he never really mentioned the word depression, but he was going through sort of sort of certain anxiety and going through personal problems with his with his where Damien Deborah started to fall apart and that kind of thing. And he would he often said, didn't he? He needed wrestling. He needed the success. He needed the adulation that came with it. So I think there was a sort of almost desperation sort of behind this, which I think adds a bit of sadness to it as well. But the whole thing it was such a yeah, it is a wonderful feud, and it's you know, but. It, for me, it does get ruined by the McMahon angle. It, that that yeah. takes the gloss off it. It, it. it This runs through all of the Attitude Era and all of the Attitude Era WrestleManias that a McMahon will get involved for reasons. And it really complicates stuff because um, I think quite a few people that listen to this podcast uh, read Cage Side Seats, which is the website where you can get loads of catch-ups every single day. And one of the head writers there wrote a really interesting point that Vince McMahon versus Stone Cold Steve Austin never ended. That feud never completed itself, which is why the Attitude Era is in this very weird state of oddness. Um, Carrie, your point about you need more than hatred is really interesting because in a lot of these feuds where the feud is just, I hate you, because wrestling works week to week and the story always continues, once you beat the person that you hate so much, they're still there. You can't vanquish them like in a superhero movie or a fairy tale where they just evaporate and turn to dust. They're still there in the background doing stuff and you're always wondering, why have you not finished that because traditionally they have to stop existing or doing something else. When, why is Dean Ambrose happy to be next to Seth Rollins? I know why, but also, no. Why, why is Triple H happy that Undertaker's still there? Very odd. Good feud. Hatred, less needed. Last question on this, Carrie. I think of these two as kind of like Messi and Ronaldo, and you, and you kind of think, oh, it's quite nice that Messi and Ronaldo are playing the game at the same time. But you get a sort of fallow period after Rock and Austin leave when it's filled by John Cena. Would you have rather Rock had followed Austin or vice versa? And so they weren't together at the same time fighting each other, but we had... I'm, I'm saying these are two of the three or four best performers, most popular performers the company's ever produced. Would you rather have had them one after the other or side by side so they could feud together and, and we wouldn't have had to have 15 years of John Cena? No, the side by side, because otherwise you're going to have the same thing as we've had with Cena. You've got the one big star and then it's all, you know, Cena wins, lol, all the time. Having the two of them at the same time means that... There's a slight bit of uncertainty. There's this kind of vying for the spotlight. There's this having two big stars at the same time is just amazing. And when you think about also um, the mainstream credibility that they both have and had as well, that kind of interest in you know what is people planning to do fighting, I think that's that's amazing. And the two of them at the same time, I think that's an incredible achievement. It's also wrestling. They would have fought at some point. <laughs> That's true, yeah. And it wouldn't have been anywhere near as good, would it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that was probably the most high-profile match of the night. It, Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit was not, but in terms of work rate, maybe the most enjoyable. <laughs> Kurt coming to the ring 
cutting a promo saying lose the freaking cowboy hats people you're not seven years old just before he's about to have one of the stiffest matches maybe in wrestlemania history um we kind of touched on this on on the last episode but but carla pined this on our whatsapp group um the other week kurt the mvp of wrestlemania i mean what can't he do? What hasn't he done? Has has somebody had a better series of WrestleMania matches? Often, as we spoke of last week with the Kane thing, not not much to this, not much in terms of build-up, but he just makes everything wonderful that he does. He really does. Kurt Angle, yes, I would agree. MVP, he's just just awesome. And this is a this is terrific. And again, I'm kind of sitting while watching it and feeling quite uneasy watching it, particularly the way that it finishes. And I'm just thinking, I can't watch this. It's kind of awkward and sad and depressing and awful. But Kurt Angle, yes. Um, gold stars all around for him. Gold medals all around for him. Fantastic. <laughs> it is kind of, again, we've spoken about Benoit at length, but you can't not watch this and go, eek, um, at, at, at very least, because of, of what would happen um, in his future. But Again, you were a big Benoit fan when he was in the ring, Carl, and this is kind of why these kind of matches, which just offer you something different to what you often get on a wrestling show, but give you that hit of reality whereby at this time, if you were showing a friend, this is why I like wrestling, you wouldn't show them the gobbledygooker, you'd show them this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was 10 years old when this uh, WrestleMania was on. And again, like I said, I was watching this through the very weird prism of Sunday Night Heat, because that was on Channel 4. So I, I watched quite a bit of a bit more Benoit and a bit more Test and a bit more Val Venus and Right to Censor than I watched more of Stone Cold. These two are great. Um, these two had on and off feuds where the feud is basically who's the best Matt wrestler, and it was great. But again, you, it's very hard watching Benoit matches because there's a bit. I watch this on the network. There's a bit where the camera goes away from the ring and it takes a shot of the crowd because I'm assuming Benoit makes some form of gesture towards his neck. And that is the reality of wrestling, and that's the reality of what you have to juggle with in your brain when you choose to watch a Chris Benoit match. Also, kind of funny, looking back in retrospect, Paul Heyman calling this match uh, with Kurt Angle in it after Kurt Angle had come into ECW shortly after he won his gold medals and left in a big huff on the show where uh, Raven was... Was it Raven who was crucified or he crucified? No, Raven crucified Sandman, didn't he? And they uh, literally hung him on the ring with a cross, uh, with a barbed wire crown around his head. And Kurt Angle said to Paul Heyman, I'm leaving. If my image appears on your TV show with that, you will hear from my lawyers. It's just weird how wrestling works in that kind of way, isn't it? And then a couple of years later, you've got Paul Heyman going, my Olympic hero! It's, it's utterly bizarre. And these two... I kind of like saw them as Rottweilers in this match. They're just sort of, they're just going at it. It's low center of gravity. Won't let each other one go, go away. Matt wrestling can be a bit boring sometimes, especially when one person's clearly better than the other, or when they're trying to have a sort of fake wrestling sort of match. These two were just, just brilliant, utterly brilliant. They knew what the crowd wanted to see. And they could, you know, as you said, they could, they could do all the, you know, the, the match goes out to the outside of the ring and it's just wonderful. And just Kurt Angle is, vastly becoming my favourite of all time next up Undertaker versus Triple H full 10 minutes shorter than the main event this one um, I'll make you famous was the terrible catchphrase that it was kind of built around um, producer Ben pointing out a lot of leather and denim as well in the in the build up to this Triple H's blow dried hair um, wearing a flat cap as well we spoke about or I asked the question of whether Austin versus Rock is the greatest Wrestlemania feud is this the most overrated, Carrie? Yes, it's overrated, overhyped, overblown, over everything. I don't want to slag off Undertaker or Triple H any more than I already have in the previous, you know, episodes. But this is just, there's too much. There's too much Lemmy. There's too much. He, hey, look, he came close <laughs> to remembering about 30% of the words to the song that he'd written here. So let's yes. not be too harsh. Yeah. As, as someone from the Midlands, it's, it's nice to hear a Stoke accent <laughs> at the beginning. Even if he, even if it's you know barely audible, you can't understand what you, but it doesn't matter. It's we funny. are motorhead, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like an all right match, but it wasn't quite a hardcore match. It wasn't quite a wrestling match. It was betwixt and between a bit. But it was one of those things where we'll sit here and moan that Undertaker matches are always quite similar. And then they're going to spend 20 minutes wrestling in the crowd. And then it still doesn't really work, does it? Because, 
you know, you you look at the main event, and the main event was Rock eventually getting beaten down with chair shots. Well, Undertaker and Triple H receive about ninety chair shots each during this match. So, how did this match continue? It's it's, it's got a very weird framing of Undertaker, and who some, says it's my fucking yard at the end when he makes the pin, which is like, hmm, <laughs> that's rather rude. There is a weird <laughs> way of when you take on the Undertaker, you have to. Everyone talks about he's ethereal and is weird at WrestleMania. There has to be, a, there has to be some form of equaliser. Everyone talk, you know. So when Kurt Angle wrestles Undertaker, he's gonna take down, chop him down by the legs. When uh, flippy guys take on Taker, they're gonna bring up to the air to see what they can do. When strong guys take on Taker, they're gonna go, oh, "I'm gonna put you through tables." Triple H is a big guy and he's using weapons, and that was really confusing. Man, why is Triple H scared and not taking it toe to toe? Because he's basically the same height as Undertaker at this time, and he's just using loads of weapons as an equalizer. I and mean, this is odd ring psychology. Um, the fact they take it into the crowd is weird because. I don't particularly like when people fight in the crowd because it, again, it's like the Terry Funk spot. The most interesting bit is when they're fighting in the ring because that's where the referee is. So get back in the ring and get on with it. Um, and again, it's just Undertaker beating up a guy for a long time. I don't know, it, you know, Undertaker in biker mode, which I don't particularly like. There's a lovely choke slam bit where he gets Triple H off some scaffolding. But other than that, but that's yeah. But then you see what Triple H lands on, and it looks like it looks like child soft play between two very naughty boys it doesn't it's, you know, it, I, I jump from that it looked great it looked like loads of fun um, speaking of Undertaker's bike by the way I, I really liked how after this brutal match when he got back on it he made sure to turn the light on before he drove uh, <laughs> back up the ramp also, highway codes important I'm, even in an arena I'm no mechanic but why is there always a lead pipe on his on his bike I'm pretty sure that's not not part of the highway code, is it? You don't have to have a left five on it. Just needs it for rough housing. <laughs> All right, stick around. We'll be talking about the McMahon family. Surprise, surprise, next. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, Vince McMahon versus Shane McMahon. Obligatory were you sports entertained question to kick off, Carl. Uh, brutal, weird add-ons talk. Yeah, it, it, I was sports entertained. Uh, I was watching it with my younger brother. Um, and Shane McMahon comes out to the Vince McMahon music yes. rather than Here Comes the Money. Uh, and there's a bit where he grabs this keep out sign and he hits Vince over the head with it, which is the same sign that Ric Flair used to beat Undertaker with from the WrestleMania before. Uh, I was watching it with my brother and we're going, huh, getting to beat up your dad at WrestleMania. That's some weird Freudian stuff going on right there, isn't it? And the whole feud, the feud was with Trish Stratus involved and Catatonic Linda McMahon. Again, I was 10 years old watching this week to week. Just going, why is Vince making Trish Stratus bark like a do- dog? Why is all of this going on? Is this the feud where he made a strip in the ring as well? Yeah. He, the, the barking like a dog thing was cut by Sky, wasn't it? So we didn't get to see that um, in the UK. But but if you, if you don't know, Trish Stratus was Vince's girlfriend, essentially, here. Uh, Linda, his wife, had been heavily medicated. Can't quite remember why. Um, it's a shame because she's such a personality, Linda, as well, that to, to strip her of that was it seemed a bit <laughs> seemed a bit strange. You, um, you, mean, you mean the administrator of small business and the Trump administration? <laughs> yeah. what she is now. Yep, that's another £10 I'm donating. <laughs> Good charities. Um, it was all about the WCW invasion angle, wasn't it, essentially this? But the angle that was never was, which could have been, Vince suggested that he and Steph have a, an incestuous storyline. Steph balked at it, 
And so Vince said, well, okay, well, how about you and Shane then? <laughs> she said, no, for the same reason. Um, <laughs> what? what uh, uh, He's a mad old bastard, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> I mean, this wasn't as bad as Vince versus Hogan from a couple of years later, but man, working th- out issues at, at this, in just time frame, and also wanting to get with Trish Stratus. Yeah, it just um, you know he had just defeated WCW, his longest ever enemy, who tried to put him out of business, and then very clearly just went right. I've got no enemies left. What do I have to do now? And went a bit off the deep end. If I'm trying to be really kind, there's some really interesting, or interesting isn't the word, peculiar stories about how Vince described his own childhood, uh, in the in the you know, in the very odd way men mythologize themselves and like how they pull themselves up by their bootstraps and did various things despite all these hardships and the way he talks about growing up with his stepfather in uh, a trailer mobile home yeah. and whatnot and how the alleged abuse that went on and and various other things that. May or may not be untrue, because he's in the wrestling business. So I don't know what's kayfabe or not. And he, so, on one hand, you're going, "Are you working out deep-seated tr- issues from your childhood, or are you just fucking with us?" Because <laughs> please tell me you're fucking with me. <laughs> <laughs> just standing there, going, "You bitch," to your wife while she supposedly comatose in a wheelchair. Obviously, she gets up, kicks him in the nuts. Shane wins. I did enjoy Heyman. Uh, when they were brawling near the announce table, Heyman just screaming at Shane, are you out of your mind? He's the owner of the company. He's your father. But it didn't quite save it from just being kind of horrific, really. It's 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 ridiculous. I mean, the, the whole thing, you know, Shane and Vince, both ridiculous in the ring anyway. The fact that Steph and Linda are there as well. And Steph oh, with her daddy's girl on the oh back. Oh my goodness me! Oh, Trish as well. Oh, Trish as well. So, uh, Tr- yeah, Trish in in her kind of getting worse phase as we go because as we go backwards in time. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about him working out deep seated issues, making Linda watch as he's kind of beating beating it down. Your son- oh god, yeah, it's weird, weird shit. And while his twenty five year old girlfriend is next to him as well. Yeah. Uh, but Vince has, Vince has partly sold the rights, isn't he, to his... Um... Bradley Cooper's going to play him in the uh, in the biopic, Yeah, supposedly. apparently, yeah. So it's in, it's in the writing stage now, I think. Or the sort of... You know, uh, well, the story's already written, so they're kind of converting it into a script. But yeah, I really hope they're fucking with this car. It's, it's a peek into <laughs> Vince McMahon's mind, and it's chaotic and full of hornets and... <laughs> madness and that is the man who won wrestling in the western world and every now and again i go how he's why we're here we literally would not be here doing this podcast without the man who makes women bark like a dog calls his wife a bitch and smashes his son about with um trash cans whilst proposing incest with his daughter on television and, and he's all, relatively been, one of the good guys in wrestling and, and this is all with christ like two weeks can i just say this isn't this isn't the span of someone's career where you pick out four crazy points this is just one storyline or something one thing that led to this storyline but we love him in a weird way you know he's he's bonkers he's misogynistic he's dangerous but WrestleMania's pretty good, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, thanks, Vince. Um, from the ridiculous to the sublime, TLC2, the Dudley Boys who are champs versus the Hardy Boys versus the winners, Edge and Christian. Uh, JR says, I hear Dudleyville's just outside parts unknown. That's a true story, by the way, um, dear listener. This is kind of scary to watch. I mean, it's one of those guilty pleasures, isn't it? You're kind of looking through your fingers at uh, Jeff getting speared by Edge off a ladder and all this kind of stuff. And I, I feel like I can watch this and enjoy it because everybody's still alive and not wheelchair-bound. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, y- yes, there, there is that, and they're obviously risking their necks. There's one fall from Bubba Ray and Jeff, and it's just so beautiful, so balletic when they slow it down. It's like poetry. It's so beautifully done. And then you kind of think, yes, that's why TLC matches can, can, can really work when they're done like that, when it's not just about, you know, what's most spectacular. It's also the way that they're working together and the story that they're telling while they do it. Yeah, beautiful. Do the Dudleys get enough props for their role in this feud? No. Uh, I, something I think that's overlooked about TLC matches now is that it's an organic match type. 
So at the time, the Dudley boys are putting people through tables. You've got the Hardys doing loads of vertical stuff with high-flying stuff, ladders. And Edge and Christian had the concerto. So this was the amalgamation of all of their tag team special moves put together in a match type. And it, it has all that really lovely, unique flavor. So there are certain spots in this match that are funny because it's other tag teams using the special moves of another tag team. So, so it's a bit like to modern day current watches of the product in uh, AOP DIY and the revival when one member of the revival and one member of DIY use an AOP move and et cetera, et cetera. When that sort of stuff happens, you get that in TLC of just, oh yeah, Dudley boys going off ladders. That's interesting novel because the Dudley boys are meant to be table people. This matches everything that every single big list has said it is. Uh, but to Carrie's point about just like it is exhausting and it is different when you watch it. When you get to the end, Christian's face, and I don't know how Edge and Christian both do it, but they have loads of WrestleMania moments where at the end of the match, they look visibly properly shaken in like moments of shock. And I know they there's like a secret TLC match that happened on episode of SmackDown, if I remember correctly, where basically they came off a pay-per-view, did a TLC, and went, oh yeah, you're doing another one on SmackDown. And I remember, I think one of the Hardy Boys went, oh, I can't, like, I can't, I can't. This match type takes so much out of me. Please understand that this shouldn't be a thing. And then we went off and made it a pay-per-view. So, hooray, wrestling. <laughs> um, Anton, how mad is it that Jeff Hardy had a match at this year's SummerSlam 17 years later when he's been doing this kind of stuff? Yeah, he's not the same. Is he? He's not the same, Jeff Hardy. But he can walk. Yeah, he can. Matt, Matt can't really. But um, yeah, it's it's absolutely staggering. And Jeff going through power and powerbomb through a table with edges on, and obviously the swanton from the top of the ladder. And obviously we know we've mentioned previously what he's done at previous manias and previous summer slams and these kind of things as well. He is just a phenomenal. This this matches. And no major injuries until very recently. Until, for Jeff, until last year, is... yeah. They're all still alive. Edge had to retire early. Christian had to retire quietly because the concussion didn't heal from a concussion properly. Matt Hardy's spine is going to need to be fused. Jeff Hardy's having his own interesting thing. Barbara Ray Dudley has had double-figure concussions. And Devon, I don't know much about his health. Devon might be the healthiest out of all of them. And he's a backstage agent as well, isn't uh, he, yeah. these days? Yeah, so they're all still alive. They all had to retire in circumstances or are falling apart quite rapidly now. But still, this match is great. <laughs> this match was great. And even the... Usually when they bring in other characters... I was just going to say, we've got Lita, Rhino and Spike. Oh, so somebody for every team, basically. And that was kind of the way to differentiate it from the year before, almost, wasn't it? And hey, you know, everybody's got a second. And they added something rather than McManning it up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Spike Dudley... Getting involved in his sort of, I can't remember, I can't remember what the move's called, when he runs up the. Up the yes. Timbuk and it's like a bulldog kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly, it? yeah. And slams Christian from the, you know, over through the table from the outside of the ring. It's brilliant. And Lita getting involved, and Lita takes a 3D really well, really brutally. And, and Rhino's just, Rhino kind of wins the match. It's, yeah, it's fun. It's great. Like, they actually add something to the match as opposed to, oh, here, here comes the gimmick, here comes the. It's just everything about this is just wonderful. Shout out to the bit in Beyond the Mat where Spike Dudley, covered in blood, is quoting Shakespeare, and the <laughs> camera guy's going, "Go to wipe the." Well, I'm sorry, what? Wipe it? Uh, oh, I can't really think of a Shakespearean quote right now. I'm pissing blood out of my face, <laughs> <laughs> but he did it. Um, there were three TLC matches. Edge and Christian won them all. What was the, what was the thinking behind that? Um, the thinking was just they were the better tag team, which was a great bit of long term storytelling, which eventually paid off when Edge went and did singles action and eventually started feuding with John Cena, which is, I've never lost a TLC match. I have a geographical awareness that makes me superior when these elements are involved and stuff, which I just, I don't know if it was accidental design, but the story was always Edge and Christian were the better brother duo of the, of the brothers involved. We've thrown some love in the last couple of shows over William Regal. Here he was the GM of Raw facing Chris Jericho for the IC title in the opener. Lots of besmirching, some rather tart tea, a few little toe rags, all the staples of the Regal regime, as was um, one of my favourite, if not the favourite, Regal eras. Jericho pissing in his teapot and tasting <laughs> rather tart. Yeah, 
I kind of felt with uh, this entire match and this entire feud, there's so much kind of thrown into it. There's so much stuff going on. And I almost kind of felt like there wasn't enough time for it to kind of be developed properly. I kind of felt this, this whole match, this entire story was a little bit rushed. I don't know how everyone else feels about that. I agree entirely. Okay, good. How are you feeling about Chris Jericho around this spell, Carl? This is good. This is better because he's not he's not in the work rate match. He's not in the you have to cover so-and-so's inefficiencies in, in another match. This is just, yeah, yeah, Jericho, go have fun with another guy. And a lot of it is just because Regal, much like uh, other mid-card wrestlers who do great stuff in NXT now, is, is pretty much egoless. If Regal will eat a potato and talk you through stuff... And once gave me advice when I mean, like, I'm interested in taking wrestling. Went, yeah, go do this, this, and this. Regal's a wonderful human being. Jericho from... in, I was about to call Jericho a wonderful human being, and I caught myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anton, who had the redder chest out of Regal here or Debray at the Greatest Royal Rumble? Debray. Oh, that was just bizarre, wasn't it? That was just sort of... It was so red, and then it turned really blue backstage after as well. It was, it was just... Yeah, it was horrible. Uh, yeah, this was odd, wasn't it? I mean, it's just this is an odd way to start WrestleMania. And Jericho was obviously huge, and he went on later in the year to I think Armageddon, wasn't it? When he won, sort of beat Rock, the Rock and Stone Cold in the same night and that kind of thing. But obviously Jericho was huge. But William Regal was, and there was a, quite a, elements in this match where there was a slow beat down of Jericho and that kind of thing. And just thinking, well, I don't get it because it's the antithesis of what Jericho was doing because he was so amped up and. His huge crossbody was so big it almost went over the top of Regal's head at one point and that kind of thing. But it seemed odd that it was at some points it was quite slow and I thought it's an odd match to pick to start the whole thing, especially when there was so much more to come later. But Regal, I remember at the time watching Regal thinking, I really don't like Regal. Like he's everything you guys think Brits are, you know. He's oh, all his matches are slow and all he wants to do is get his brass knucks out and. Obviously, I was massively being worked, and I'm an idiot because he is absolutely wonderful and is just one of the best technicians you could find. And Same. hated Regal as a kid. Watched the back recently. Oh, you're amazing! Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I feel like an absolute mark and a bit of a knob. But um, like you just little, it's just little things. Like so many people kick out the walls of Jericho by making Jericho somehow spin his legs around and that kind of thing. Whereas Regal just scrappily fought out, you know, that kind of thing, and just kind of kicked his legs away. I was like, no, I'm not going to go away. And you, and it's just it's just wonderful. It was just, this match was like kind of a bit higgledy-piggledy and the build-up was a bit silly, but I still enjoyed it. Speaking of which, the hardcore title match, Kane, Big Show, Raven, Golf Carts, Blood, Windows, Smoke. Um, I can see people pulling faces at me. I thought this was such a guilty pleasure. I was just laughing all the way through it. Axel, you agree with me? Love this. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> loved this. I loved I loved so much about it. Kane being billed as the future of the company, Big Show being billed as the future of the company. I don't know where that came from, but never mind, because they've both been in this industry for about four or five years. Well, more than that, I think, for Big Show by that point. So that was all very odd. Um the sh- it was just shoddy camera work, awful directing, then the crowd within minutes, and then uh, the huge window spot where Raymond just gets thrown through, it just looks brutal. Um, the crowd goes wild whenever Kane does something to Big Show because they know that's the real feud. And then the, just the golf buggies where Kane actually runs over Raven, <laughs> which is clearly a mistake. <laughs> It's brilliant. And at one point, obviously, someone gets thrown over a, th- a, a, a food, uh, one of the food sort of tables, and JR says, There goes the Snapple. Like, that's a phrase. <laughs> like, that's a phrase. And Heyman counters with, Diet Peach. That's my favourite. <laughs> favorite. Utterly, utterly. And then Big Show's getting up, getting beaten up on the ramp in front of an LED screen with a big picture of his face. <laughs> Don't know why that made me chuckle, but it did. And then obviously, the end as well was just delightfully silly, where, you know, they have a big sort of off the stage drop and then Kane just kind of just kind of fumbles a leg drop off the top of the stage and wins utterly stupid utterly wonderful Carrie I'm sensing you didn't feel quite the same yeah not really my thing it's kind of yeah it's it's slightly too ridiculous for my tastes Cole, before your time, but you're uh, an educated man, certainly in a wrestling sense. Uh, inform people who maybe don't know where Raven came from, what his story in wrestling is. Uh, Raven was ECW stalwart, 
champion. Uh, had a very long running feud with Tommy Dreamer in ECW, where Tommy Dreamer could not beat Raven, and through the entire run of ECW, could not beat Tommy Dreamer until the final episode of ECW, where he finally overcome. Raven comes over with the invasion. Is neither here nor there. Having been in WCW yeah. as well, uh, his big thing was well, his big storyline gimmick. Either just at the end of ECW, or just as he comes into WWE, he was doing a thing where he was going through seven deadly sins. Um, he's underrated promo in terms in the weird promo area that Mankind, Bray Wyatt, and the Undertaker inhabit of mystical promos about the dark heart of man and how evil will take over raven is top two top three if if you can find mankind early mankind promos that's the best way he's going proper mrs foley's baby boy then you've got raven then you've got dead man undertaker that's how good raven was as a promo and then here he's just getting his head panned in and chucked through windows and walls Let's whiz through the rest of this card. Something to note before we begin. This is the deadest mania we've encountered so far. Nine of the performers on the card, including Bobby Heenan, who we'll mention surely, no longer with us. Tess versus Eddie is the first time we've actually had a match where both participants are now dead. And we've talked, spoke a lot in previous episodes about Eddie Guerrero and, and, and how he died so young. Test Andrew Martin died four days before his 34th birthday from an accidental overdose. A forensic pathologist also determined that he suffered from severe Severe chronic traumatic encephalopathy caused by repeated concussions and head injuries. He had substance abuse problems. He's a former hardcore IC European and tag team champions. He he could have been Triple H. He could have had a good run. He was Steph's husband for a bit. He's just um, yet Steph's another friend. There is very much a alternate reality where he is married to Stephanie McMahon, and WWE is a completely different product. If whether or not it exists at all. Test was my favourite wrestler as a kid. Brought in as Motley Crue's bodyguard when they did an angle with DX, wasn't he? But just like just one of those carry really, isn't it? Where it, it's you can't look upon it with anything other than utter sadness at the way the industry turns some people. Yeah, and this is another one of those matches where you kind of look at the end where he's kind of getting hit on the head with the belt. You're kind of like, oh, okay, there's wrestling. And then, yeah, it, it, it's, inc- it's incredibly sad. Test was has kind of become a bit of a punchline to, to, to a lot of things. But, yeah, he could, say he, he, he could have been so much more than he actually was, but he died so young. And I don't think you kind of realise that as a kind of teenager or as a kid and just quite how young he was. But before his 34th birthday, my God, I hadn't quite realised that. And also, Anton, Eddie Guerrero here really struck me how sort of lithe and agile he looks. And you think, oh, you're actually a much better wrestler like that. You don't need to stack on twice your weight in steroid-induced muscle. But he did. He did because that's the business. And that's, you know, what everyone else was doing and how everybody, how everyone else looked around him. Test was good. I think that's one thing that is kind of forgotten. Test was He good. dragged Shane McMahon to a, a, an acceptable yeah, match. Yeah, yeah. And... You mentioned what Test won, but Test was in some big matches in WWE. He had a feud with Triple H. You know, he, he would come in and out of sort of, you know, he'd occasionally main event Raw, okay, yeah, occasionally in the second bout. He would be there or thereabouts for a while, and I'm not sure whether they never quite gave him, they, they tried to give him a push, but never quite clicked, or whether it was just, look, the guy's still, you know, that time was only not even around 30, he wasn't even 30 at the time, he'll have his time. That's still relatively young in, in wrestling at, at, at that time. But it, he was, what, done by 2006, something like that. And he was, you know, so he, he passed away at 34, but he was done with sort of mainstream wrestling, really, by the age of 30 or 31. It's incredibly sad. Mm. Shouldn't have made him wrestle a match on the Raw where he was supposed to marry Steph either because he stood at the aisle in his suit, sweating like a pregnant nun when Trips comes in and uh, spoils the party. But yeah, very, very sad. Other dead people, China versus Ivory. First time we've seen China. She'd be gone from the company a couple of months later. Um, there was a lot of good stuff in her run. Carrie, she came in. Obviously, uh, Triple H sort of picked her. It was supposed to be, what was his name? Mr. Hughes, who was Triple H's bodyguard initially. Uh, he wanted China. There were a couple at the time. She was an important part of DX and the history of... 
WWF as was at this time. Um, this was a kind of throwaway match, really, though, wasn't it? It was a throwaway match, and it could have been quite a lot more than it actually was. But um, you know, we'll talk about China in weeks to come. And but it was just so nice to kind of see her and kind of think, oh, here we go. This is China going to do some actual stuff now. And one of the things that I always loved about China is. She gets put into the intergender matches. She gets put into angles with with men that isn't necessarily just about sex, which is what you find with a lot of the others. For example, Trish. Um, I love China, and again, it's it's another really sad story about what happened to her after she leaves the company. Triple H said, uh, Carl, on the Stone Cold podcast they put on the network that she's not in the Hall of Fame because his daughter could Google her name and see that she was in porn. That's that's not really a legit no, defense no. Is it? at the time it was it was nonsense because mike tyson donald trump various other men male superstars in that hall of fame and hulk hogan's back in there now so doubly it, it's a nonsense and it particularly hurts because as we described on a previous podcast we know she really wanted to be in the hall of fame and she released videos on youtube to the extent of why am i not in the hall of fame this feels like a particularly pointed uh, rejection of myself as a person when, without going too further into it, she was in a couple with Triple H. Triple H left her, um, began dating Stephanie McMahon. According to China, Triple H cheated on her to start dating Stephanie McMahon. I think that, that was a very much unresolved story. Uh, and in China's mind, I believe she was forced out of the company due to Triple H's marriage to Stephanie McMahon and what happened after that it, it's all especially sad this Wrestlemania I particularly like because this very much felt like a celebration of China the match the entrance um, the applause when she wins the title very much feels like the company going to China well done thank you for your hard work you very much deserve this and so it's so sad that she left the company a couple months afterwards never mind the Hall of Fame we have Evolution coming up in a few weeks time and if China's name doesn't get mentioned when they're billing it as 50 women from past, present and future uh, who have helped shape the landscape of WWE. Well, if China's name isn't not just mentioned, but isn't, you know, kind of glorified and put into context, then everything that Carl's just and Carrie just spoken about really, you know, is true, isn't it? Let's be really honest. Do you think they just fudge it with the Hall of Fame by putting DX in and saying you can go in with that then? I think there is a. I think society's moved on from hopefully that if a woman did ever ever did anything where she was naked or promiscuous, that now we now we just sort of turn a blind eye to it and just say people can do whatever they want. It doesn't affect what they've done in the past. Yeah. So hopefully, if they put her in the Hall of Fame on her own merit, nobody would actually mind. I'd like. Yeah. I, I, I think. I think. Likes. I think there's a ground ground cell of support that actually people want her in the, the argument that she shouldn't be on the hall of fame based on what she's done outside of wrestling is hook'em based on so many of the other people in that hall of fame and also based on, it's not a real hall of fame it's not like nba it's not like uh nfl it's not like nhl nhl where there is a literal place full of merchandise and they can do that i know they want to do that but there is no you have to have achieved this certain this amount of things you have to have done this certain amount of things you must not have done drugs in like they have in baseball or whatnot, the rules for getting in the Hall of Fame don't exist. So to make one up, just so you can't let your... I am going to be that. Just so you can't let your ex-girlfriend in there. Yeah. It stinks. And you think if they can get to the point where they can accept putting Randy Savage in, then China's not such a big deal. Because, you know, if we believe the rumours that are out there, it's a similar kind of thing there that kept him out of the Hall of Fame for a while. So... Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, let's move on to something a bit cheerier. The gimmick battle royal. JR and Heyman excuse themselves so Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan can come out and they just absolutely love it. They have the time of their lives. Who doesn't love Bobby Heenan and, and Gino? Even at the end when they're going to shake hands and Gene's like, get your hand out of my pocket. Oh, I love these two. Uh, Iron Sheik waddles along, eventually wins. He doesn't give a bump. He doesn't take a bump. He doesn't do much. Um, yeah, I mean... It was silly, harmless fun, wasn't it, this? How many people was it in this? 19 people in this match. And it takes, like, what, 20 minutes for people to get to the ring? 
And it's Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan on commentary, which is fantastic. And then the match itself takes, what, 35 seconds? <laughs> well, it's just an obscene, ridiculous waste of time. It's fantastic. This is the kind of ridiculousness I can live with. Even Heenan says, doesn't he, uh, it'll be WrestleMania 38 by the time the show gets <laughs> Even he knows it's utterly, utterly ridiculous. Um, it was like watching incorrectly medicated residents at a care home at mealtime, though, wasn't it? Everyone not kind of knowing what they should do, but not really knowing what they should do. But, yeah, it was, it was all right. I, I, I kind of disagree. I thought it was a bit... I, I kind of had a wee break and, you know, and then came back and they were still, literally still coming back to the ring. So. Have you got anything to say on this, Carl? Iron Sheik and Shot Slot, Sergeant Slaughter, they're not gimmicks. They're legit, authentic... They're too good to be in this. Um, yeah. Don't watch this for Bobby Heenan's commentary. Don't watch this for anything else because Bobby Heenan is exquisite. Just tearing this to shreds. So that match kind of a little bit better than Right to Sense's entrance music. Um, I haven't got much to say about their six man that they lost to the Acolytes, as was JBL and Farouk and Taz. Um yeah, I mean, it, it happened. It, it was a match that happened at WrestleMania 17. Uh, shout back, out right to Stephen Richards' White Sox. Bring back White to Sensor. That is a great gimmick. Just, just really annoying heels who want to censor every single part of your television. Bring it back. Give one of them like an iPad gimmick where they have VAR for counter <laughs> the referee's not there. Right to Sensor is a gimmick that could definitely work again. Uh, um, Axel, we're going to talk a lot about um, the Godfather next week. Yeah, we will. Uh, he was the good father here. A year's a long time in wrestling. Yeah, it is. Uh, but you can't help but still see the same guy and just think, oh, you're a... Oh, <laughs> oh. You, you, can be, you can be dressed up in white. You're, you still make my skin crawl. That's it. WrestleMania 17. We'll get some WrestleMania moments. I'm going to I'm going to say the hardcore match just cuz I'd forgotten all about it and I just chuckled all the way through. Carrie, you've probably got a much more sensible one than that. I was just going to say China winning the title. He just made me happy. Go. Uh, I'm going to say JR calling Stone Cold the Bionic Rattlesnake. Hanson. Uh Get, when, and it's in TLC 2 when uh, one of the competitors gets a headbutt to the balls and it aver- adversely affects your sex drive, <laughs> uh, according to, uh, to JR, which made me chuckle. Whenever Jim Ross says the word sex in any context yep. or anything about it, it's just like... Is he, is he on your list of <laughs> WWE figures you do not want to imagine having sex? There's a bit on a Raw once where somebody mentioned KY Jelly... And Lola goes, you know what that is, don't you, JR? And he goes, yeah. And Lola goes, you do? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I sort of wish you didn't, Jim, to be honest. That's it. We're halfway through our WrestleMania Rewind now, but we'll be back next week with our review of WrestleMania 16, a.k.a. WrestleMania 2000, a.k.a. a McMahon in every corner, a.k.a. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we're going to have to talk about this. Social media plugs, people. Carrie, where can people keep up with you on the Twits? At Carrie Sparkle. And Carl. At Anchorman616. And Anton. At Sky Anton. We are at the PU Podcast. I am at Matt Davis FC. Rate, review, share and subscribe. I've been Matt Davis Adams and it's my way. My way or the highway. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.